Delsing spent 25 years on the PGA Tour and is a lifetime member of the PGA Tour and PGA of America. Now he provides his unique perspective as a golfer and network broadcaster. It's time to go On the Range with Jay Delsing. On the Range is brought to you by Vehicle Assurance. Hey, good morning. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I got Pearly with me. Pearly, what's going on this morning? Nothing much, man. Just more uh, sunshine and uh, and blue skies down here. But looking forward to working with you. Me turn. I am so tired of hearing this. Oh come on! It's, get, it's getting pretty old. Yeah, we're not. We don't need I, a I, weather I, report. I thought you wanted an update. I thought you wanted. An I update. wanted an Fine. invite, not an update. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we formatted. Can you tell we're a little bitter over here? We're about as bitter as the as the bitter cold temperatures we're dealing with here. Um. We formatted the show like around the golf. The first segment is the on the range segment. It's brought to you by Vehicle Assurance. Um, their number is 866-341-9255. If you need coverage for your vehicle, any kind of car you have, they have the coverage for you. Give them a call. They're great folks over there. You can check us out on our social media outlets. Twitter is at Jay Delsing. Facebook is Golf with Jay Delsing and Jay Delsing Golf Hospitality. LinkedIn is just Jay Delsing and Instagram. We don't tell anybody because somehow that account keeps growing and we don't even know what it is. Or most of us don't really care. Um, want to thank Bob and Kathy Donahue at Donahue Painting and Refinishing. Um, if you need any sort of refreshing for, for your home, inside or outside, call the Donahues at 314-805-2132 and they will hook you up. Hey, and the tip of the cap segment this week is brought to you by Dean Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood, 314-966-0303, and ask for Colin. He's a great guy. Tip of the cap goes to my good buddy, uh, fellow associate over here at ESPN, Danny McLaughlin. Danny is working his butt off right now, doing anything he can to bring us sports. He's taking a new show here at ESPN. He's also uh, got a TV program going on. He's with uh, Michelle and Randy on Thursday and Friday mornings. And spring training is right around the corner. So he's the hardest working guy that we know right now. So tip of the cap goes to Danny Mac. Check him out at scoops at dannymac.com. And this is brought to you by the Dean Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood. Reach him at 314-966-0303 or deanteamkirkwood.com. All right, Pearl, so our show today, got to sit down with Stuart Sink. Stuart's, Stuart's been a, a good buddy for a lot of years. Um, seven-time PGA Tour winner, the Open champion in 2009, which was one of the wildest tournaments for me to watch, Pearl, because he beat Tom Watson in a playoff at 59 years old. Um, so... Um, yeah, it's just just crazy. Um, we've got a, a a little course management topic. We've got some other things to talk about. But Pearl, what something came across the wires uh, last week? We didn't have enough time to get in the show, but I'm really excited about this. The PGA of America has made. I'm going to call this a monumental statement for golf, and they're allowing players in the senior championship the Senior PGA Championship, the KMPG Women's PGA Championship, and the PGA Championship on the uh, regular PGA Tour, they're allowing measuring devices to be used in the tournament. So just for those those events, not for the tour? At, at, no, the at, tour at has not. Right. So the tour is a separate entity. The USGA is a separate entity. The RNA is a separate entity. So obviously the RNA and the USGA can get together um, and say, well, here's what we're going to do in the U.S. Open. Here's what we're going to do in the Open Championship uh, abroad. But all those other ones uh, are going to have to run through Jacksonville and go through the PGA Tour um, uh, protocol. But what I, I loved what they said because um, they said they're always looking to increase and enhance the flow of play and the and the uh, the pace of play and the competition itself, and they really believe that this is going to make it go quicker and easier. And uh, they're taking a bold move, Pearl. So, and I, I, maybe I'm overstating this a little bit, but sometimes the golf uh, powers that be are just a little slow to react to some of these things. For me, uh, I think re- reacting slow is uh, is an understatement. 
Uh, what do you think? Do you do you think it will have that effect, Jay? Do you think they'll play faster because of it? I mean, on the surface, personally, I like it. I like it a lot. Well, but John, it you, would be better. How much better of a caddy would I have been had I had a, a top-notch uh, a radar? I mean, I could have been <laughs> top of top of the heap. It sounds like a movie uh, opportunity here, Mead. He could have been a contender. <laughs> oh, Pearly. You know, no, John, I think it's like, I don't think it's going to be a massive amount of difference, but I think you're talking about five to 10 minutes around. Oh, I'll, I'll place a bet on that. I, I think it's another 15, 20 minutes around, which on the surface might not sound a, a lot, but any improvement, I think you would agree is a lot, is a big deal. Okay, so John, think of it from a monetary standpoint with the uh, television networks and how important they, they've always been trying to shorten our game. They've always yeah. been trying to clean this thing up and, and let it run a little quicker, a little smoother, a little cleaner. Yep. Yep. It's, it'll yep. be interesting. For Nonetheless, it'll be really interesting to see what, what, it, what indeed does happen with this. Yeah, I, I I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's not too long before it's going to come uh, down the pipe for the rest of the thing. I think there's a lot of. I think colleges, I think some college events, uh, some other amateur events are using it. I think it's it's, it's here, and uh, and we should do it personally. I want to say one thing that happened last week. Um, we didn't get to mention it on the show, but. The AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, Pro, one of our favorite events, one of my favorite events. I played 26 years in a row out there, and I know probably the last 10 you spent out there almost every year with me, I'd say, don't you I think? I loved it. I loved it. What a gorgeous place in general, and walking that co- any of the courses, but Pebble in particular coming down 16, 17, and 18. Uh, it didn't get much better than that. And and because of COVID, they weren't allowed to do the pro-am portion of the uh, event. So it wasn't a foursome walking down there with two pros and two amps. It's just going to be uh, the players themselves. And so it's a totally different look, but it'll be back next year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. That is one of the highest rating golf events Every year, Pearl, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year without the Bill Murrays and the Larry Fitzgeralds of the world, Larry the Cable Guy, and all those other folks that come out there and support the event. Yeah, probably won't have quite the draw, but and I know the players are all going to say and have been saying, oh, we're going to miss the amateurs, uh, kind of, kind of. Yeah. That's a, long week. that's a long week with the amateurs uh, for sure. Yeah, those those rounds can get can drag on uh, quite a bit. Um uh, okay, so John, one of the things that I wanted that we've been talking about throwing out some um, ideas for how people can improve their game through the winter, and we've talked about exercise, we've talked about how statistics and analyzing your statistics can be misleading through your putting and your your hitting and stuff. And today, I wanted to bring up course management, and um, and and uh, this topic, and and. Um, what does it really mean, and how can they actually man? How do you think people can actually manage themselves and their games better to translate to lower scores? Because I feel like when people talk about course management, I don't really feel like the majority of the amateur player knows what that means. I'm not sure a lot of people do. I mean, you and I went back and forth even on tour. And I think we all understand it to a certain level, but there's just another level, another level, and another level. Remember the time in uh, California for Phoenix Open Qualifier? I think it was out at Pima, Pima, or yep. Pima, one of those places. Yep. You know, we got done with the go- with the day. You played pretty well, but not good enough to make it. And you know, you kind of said, "Well, if I would have had this shot or this shot," you know. And and I think part of it is just that perspective of what we have control of, really, and what we don't. And I think the other part of course management that's so important that maybe we can touch on is the momentum that you can create and the comfort level for yourself that you can create if you do have your eye on course management. You know, not getting in those funky positions and then not getting in and then having a tough time getting out. And we've talked about this on the show. Whenever we're in any of that kind of stuff, hit the shots you're most comfortable with. And when you're in trouble, get it back in a place that you can be very comfortable. And I think if you do those kinds of stuff, those types of things and establish a bit of that, rhythm of the round, if you will, and that comfort level, other things can start clicking. And that, to me, is what I mean by managing it. Yeah, you know what, John? I remember that round specifically. I think I shot 71, and I needed like 66. 
66 or 67 to get through. And I was like, oh, man, I missed a couple of drives here and there. We broke that round down. And if I would have hit, um, uh, and this is where the first true awakening of how important the short game was and how important 100 yards and in was to my game. Um, if I would have hit one bunker shot better, uh, two pitch shots better, and two chip shots better, you know, I'm shooting 65 minimally because of the momentum you said. And, and Pearl, yep. I have written down here and circled momentum because there's a rhythm to the round as we talk about. And some of the young guys that I try to help coach, I talk about this and try to get them to understand this momentum. When it is on your side, you want to cherish it. You don't want to be reckless and careless with it. And you want to keep that ball in front of you. And if you're, if this is a day where you're going low, man, put the ball on the green and give yourself a bunch of good looks at it because those days don't happen that often. And that day in Pima still resonates in my mind as a very important day for me understanding the game in a different way, Pearl. Absolutely. And another time, actually many times, we would be out there and one of our goals on the on the, certainly at the beginning of the tournament, but really the beginning of each round, was let's try not to have to hit certainly not more than a full shot. I mean let's not go after anything in the first nine if we can help it. And if possible, let's and between a seven and eight if you could get comfortable with it, let's hit the seven. And that really helped you kind of the, the rhythm of your swing. That was the course management. Because we knew if we were hitting pressing seven irons, pressing nine irons, uh, pressing things off the tee early, it could really get you out of whack. And when we could kind of stick with that, it really got you into a good groove. And then by the end, you're flying. Your, your comfort level's there. You're building well, that momentum. You had your rhythm. And then you could hit it however the heck you wanted to hit it. But if we started that too early... It could get wonky. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap up the On the Range segment, but don't go anywhere. We have the interview with Stuart Sink coming up on the front nine. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. Hi, this is Peter Jacobson, and you're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing. Wilson Pools Plus has been beautifying homes in the Metro St. Louis area for over 30 years. They're a family-owned, full-service pool company. Whether you want to add a pool, landscaping, patios, or just have them service your existing pools, Wilson Pools Plus can handle any job. You can reach them at 314-421-1301, or if you're calling from the east side, 618-632-2386. You can also check them out on the web at wilsonpoolsplus.com. Are you looking for a great career? Do you like meeting nice people, working with your hands, and fixing things inside the home? Marcon Appliance Parts Company would like to encourage you to consider a high-paying career in major appliances repair and service. Major appliance service technicians are in very high demand. Major appliance techs work regular hours and make excellent money. They work local, in their own communities, and are home every night. It is an incredibly stable industry and highly rewarding work. Discover more about your new career in major appliance services today by contacting a local appliance service company in your hometown. In Springfield, contact John Shepard at Appliance World. The phone number is... 217-544-8180. Marcona Appliance Parts Company is based in St. Louis, Missouri, and is the largest distributor of major appliance parts in North America and proud distributor of General Electric Parts. I want to welcome Vehicle Assurance to the Golf with Jay Delsing Show. Vehicle Assurance has been in business for over 10 years. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, which is one of the reasons they have over 1 million satisfied customers. They are known for their painless claims process and their premium vehicle protection plan. If you have a car, they have the correct coverage for you. Find them at VehicleAssurance.com or call them at 866-341-9255 for a free quote. Get the protection and the peace of mind you deserve. Grab your clubs. We're headed to the front nine on Golf with Jay Delsing. The Front Nine is brought to you by the Ascension Charity Classic. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I got Pearlie with me, and we are headed to the Front Nine, brought to you by the Ascension Charity Classic. Man, if you're anywhere near the Midwest this September, you got to go up to Norwood Hills. Uh, it's going to be, oh, I'm just going to say the best field for the Champions Tour all year long at Norwood, uh, uh, September 6th through 12th. Uh, cannot wait. Uh, Pearlie, we are going to go right to my interview with Stuart Sink, a seven-time PGA Tour winner. He won the Open Championship in 2009. He was also the winner of the prestigious Payne Stewart Award in 2017, among many other accomplishments. Let's go to that interview now. 
Let's sing. 47 years of age. I was talking to him on the practice putting green. He's like, I'm going to go give these young guys a run today. Nice well, he there. gets hitting wedges like that, making the putts. He's going to do exactly that. Stewart Sink is brought to you by Golden Tee. But I, I got to tell you, it's so fun to prep for some of you guys that get to come on the show. I look at your career, seven PGA Tour wins, uh, five Ryder Cup teams that you played on, four President's Cup teams that you played on, 14 professional wins around the world. Currently, you're sitting ninth in the FedEx Cup. You've made over $40 million um, in career earnings. And gosh, man, what a great career you've had. <laughs> Thank you. You know, um, it, it just feels like, a blink and here we are you know I'm 47 years old and it just I can't believe that it's been going on this long it just doesn't feel like that long uh, but the numbers add up and I think this is like my 23rd or 24th season it's it's amazing but um you know golf makes you start over every week and so um I in a way I don't feel like it's like a twilight part of my career I still feel like I've got a lot to play for and I've got uh the ability to keep competing. So um, why not? Well, absolutely. Why not? And I mean, you won an event last year, but let's start a little bit and give folks a kind of a glimpse at how you started. Like you, like many of these stud players that are coming out on tour, like the Victor Hovland's and the Colin Morikawa's and the Matthew Wolf's, you turned pro in 95 and then 96, you won three events on the Nike tour, the Mexican open, and then right out on the tour straight away in 97. Yeah, um, you know, growing up, I never really saw myself as like a, like the, the PGA Tour was my destiny or anything like that. I, I just, uh, I really kind of hoped that golf would somehow get me a college scholarship and I could move out of the small town and, and go, you know, see the rest of what was out there. And once I, um, I just tried to get a little bit better every day. And um, I grew up kind of in a um, blue collar, you know, kind of, I wouldn't call it like a pessimistic environment. I'm not talking about my household or anything, but like this, the area was kind of a economically, you know, shrinking. And it was a little bit of a, it was not a very happy place back in the time when I grew up. And so it didn't feel like um, there was a lot of optimism for, for me. I mean, I, I was playing well and I was winning my regional and, and local tournaments, but there wasn't a whole lot of you're, you know, you, you really have something. I don't think a lot of people around my area had really seen much in golf. And so I didn't know what to expect. So I didn't really expect much. And so um, I was a competitive junior golfer and definitely I was, you know, in the top of my class as far as my age division and in the state tournament I was playing in. And then I was winning. And so I got some attention from some colleges and, and I ended up with a scholarship. And then um, I went to Georgia Tech. So I got, you know, out of the little town in Alabama and uh to the big town in atlanta georgia and and then um you know i i kind of started over and got into a place where now i was like a little fish in a big pond again and you know hopefully maybe i can just uh compete and and maybe make the team and i was doing that right away and then i was learning a lot from david duvall who was on my team and i won a tournament and then when duvall left i was kind of like the senior guy and the leader and college player of the year and then i was like well I think I can maybe turn pro and try this. So I wasn't one of these kids who was like, you know, from a young age, like the PJ tour is my calling. I didn't think of it that way, but um, I worked hard and I stayed kind of in the present. You could say, like I tried to get a little bit better every day and it worked out to be uh, in my favor. And, and before I know it, I was looking around at everybody going like, I'm beating everybody. So it was the next step logically. Stewie, how difficult, you know, I've had a lot of guys on that, um, and Gary Woodland just talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago where he said, I didn't realize how difficult it was once I got on tour that, you know, it's almost like these these doors open and 20 or 30 of the best, younger, stronger, you know, non-fearful players come and try to take my job. It's pretty intimidating. It is, and, and you, you're working against a lot of factors. You know, um, you're – there, there's, I should say it this way. You're, there's factors that are working against you and there's factors that are working for you. And there's a lot of them. Um, number one, everybody has a different comfort level with like being in the spotlight or in the center of attention. And, 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 you know, that's just a personal thing that everyone has to work through 
or maybe they don't. Maybe they're just like com- totally natural at you know, being the center, of being in the limelight, and that's great. But not everybody's like that. Um, then every year goes by, like Gary Woodland would have said that, you know, you've got a couple dozen of the best in the world that are coming to basically try to take your job. <laughs> and they're like, it's like, a, you know, the first day of, uh, of camp every year and, you, you know, you, you're the quarterback and you look and there's four new quarterbacks sitting there that all look like bigger than you, stronger than you. They probably can, you know, do all the technical skills they need to do, maybe a little bit better than you, but you have the whole package experience and um, trust of your club and everything. So there's a lot of factors. And um, one of those is definitely as, you know, you go from, as you, as we age naturally, physiologically, our brains sort of develop and they change. And when you're 25, you know, you have very little regard for risk and you're just more about taking everything on and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And that kind of attitude is great in golf. As you get older, you get experience, which kind of has two sides. You, yeah, you learn how to play more, and you learn yourself, and you learn the courses and you know how certain courses react to certain types of wind and all that stuff. You know, from all your years of playing, I mean, that's integral part of golf, but everybody learns that. The other side of experience is you develop scars and mental, like, demons. You know, you, oh, your, boy. your brain starts to, as it matures, it starts to hang on to the things that it associates with risk. And that's natural. You know, that's good for us because in the rest of our life, it's better to be a little bit risk averse when you're a little older because you're more saving and, you know, you get into retirement age. And, but it's not really great for being a professional golfer. So you're fighting against that physiologic sort of development and maturity, too, that kind of works against you. And there's just a lot of factors that go into it. But um, I just uh, – throughout my whole career, I've just been, you know, trying to stay – uh, on that same type of mentality that I had when I was a kid. And that's like, I just want to try to get better at golf. Um, I, I try to learn a little something every day about what can make me a little bit better. Some days I feel like I learn a ton. Some days I regress And tournament plays like that too. You know, you, you take huge steps forward, you take steps backwards and you just constantly try to be a little bit better, but it's a craft, it's a profession. And I try to treat it that way every day and try to be the best I can. Well, not only are you a great golfer, you're a great human being, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But let's go to 2009. So we talked about some wins that you have, but winning the Open Championship, beating Tom Watson in the four-hole aggregate playoff, all of those things, I mean, it had to be a dream come true. Well, I mean, certainly winning a major was uh, was like a dream come true, yes. I mean, but at the same time, though, because I'm not really – I wouldn't call myself a dreamer at all. You know, I, I felt like it was more of a – it was a validator for me. I felt like I had I had uh, established myself in the professional golf ranks by then. I That was – see, I was 36. I'd been playing on the tour for about uh, 13 years at that point without a major. But, you know, success, but no major. And so I felt like I had enough game to compete in majors, and I kind of felt like it was a situation where I should be, be patient and just wait. And I never really felt like the monkey was on my back or anything like that. I, I probably, you know, unfortunately probably didn't win enough for the monkey to be on my back. If I had been a 20-win guy and no major, then I think the monkey would have been on my back. But at that time, I think I had like five wins and, and no major. So um, I didn't feel the monkey. And um, – but it was a great sense of validation. You know, it, it definitely, it wouldn't erase the, uh, you know, the, the difficulties that my family had been through from me being gone all the time. You know, my wife was basically a single parent for about 12 years of our life while I was out running around chasing the white ball. Um, but it definitely, you know, it, it had a sense of validation where I felt like I belonged. I felt like, you know, you, there, you can't really get much higher than that in golf. I mean, you win a major championship, and, and it puts you in a very small group. Oh, absolutely. And so, so, Stu, let's talk a minute about what you said. I find it fascinating because some guys talk about dreaming, and, and you talk about this validating. For when, when I was a little kid, I was always dreaming about this stuff, you know, like I could see myself out there and things like that, and that wasn't the case for you. Not really. I just, uh, I just never have been motivated by that. And I think that's what most of us, most people anyway, are, you know, your dreams are motivators. And I've, it's frustrated my wife to no end um, because of the way that I approach 
a lot of things in my life, and golf is just one of those things. But um, I'm a small goal type person. You know, I want to be ready to hit every shot and every putt and be settled and have a good process on each shot before I hit it. And I want to be able to look back at my round and say, you know what, today I did a great job. I don't remember one time when I hit a shot where I wasn't completely decided and focused and ready to execute. And then, you know, I mean, we're going to always execute shots, not exactly how we want to. That happens. But that's my type of goals I set. And it's so undramatic and un, you know, <laughs> unemotional and un- it's not It's not incredibly I sexy. I talk to my team about it. Yeah. My wife is like, oh, my gosh, really? I mean, <laughs> she's more like a typical, uh, probably more of a dreamer. And she would be like, yeah, but why don't you say, like, I want to win four times this year or I want to win another major. I want to make the Ryder Cup team. I'm like, well, yeah. if I do my goals, all that stuff take care of itself. And I, I see that as more rewards than goals. So um, I just have always been like that and, and never really thought of myself as a dreamer and never really – I mean, sure, I was on the putting green when I was a kid, you know, putting against, you know, the, uh, my, in my imagination, Jack Nicklaus to win the Masters and creating those kind of scenarios and stuff like that. But that was more just for entertainment. <laughs> right. Well, but, you know, Stu, how important is it, though, and, and that's kind of why I brought it back up, is to stay true to who you are because – at the end of the day, you know, you're out on an island out there and you've got to feel good about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Very much so. And, and I, I think it lends itself, the, the, uh, the small goals thing lends itself well to keeping your poise under pressure. And, you know, that they're very similar because in, when you're playing in golf and, you know, quote unquote, when the bullets start flying, you know, you start to get nervous, things start to speed up. you you felt it, you know, your, your arms don't feel like arms anymore. You start wondering, <laughs> like, not only am I going to hit the fairway, but how am I going to get this ball airborne or how am I going to make contact? You know, that that's part of what you got to learn about yourself. And I think I've been very, um, very fortunate to that sort of mentality of the small goals instead of the big rewards and big goals that, helps me because it helps me to remember like okay what do we do on these routines these shots you know the i remember i remember my my first shot in um in the Ryder cup when uh, i was paired with furic in my first Ryder cup in 2002 it was the one that got delayed by 9-11 so i had to wait a whole year for my oh. first Ryder cup experience and um so in our first round furic hit the tee shot off the first hole and hit it in the absolute perfect place for a first shot of a Ryder cup career. And that was in the first cut. So the ball was sitting up really nice from about 160. So it was like an eight iron, just the simplest shot you could ever imagine for your first shot in the Ryder cup. It was like a perfect scenario. And my caddy and I discussed the yardage and it was perfect club and got my club out. It was an eight iron and stood behind the ball. And I remember actually saying to myself, now what do I do for my pre-shot routine? <laughs> I honestly forgot what I was so out of sorts with myself because of nerves and anxiety. And, you know, I was just so intense about, Oh my gosh, this is the Ryder cup. I forgot what I do. And I had to remember for a second. They're like, um, okay. Yeah. I take one practice swing. I look back at the target and I had to reconstruct my whole pre-shot routine, but that's the kind of thing that if you do that enough and you get in those scenarios, those, the natural flow of getting the yardage, um, deciding about the wind, you know, reducing all the factors down into one shot you're going to hit and making that decision and being committed to it, it all feels like it should happen the same way so that when you get under the gun, that process doesn't change. And you can, you know you can rely on that process because it's something you can control and it doesn't change. It's um, something internal to you. And those big goals like, okay, yeah, I want to qualify for the Tour Championship every season. I want to win a major every season. I want to you know, win multiple tournaments every season. Those haven't happened because you can't always control that kind of stuff. I don't like putting the, I don't like putting value on rewards or goals that I don't have really anything to do with. All right, that's going to wrap up the front nine, but don't go anywhere. We're going to finish that interview on the back nine. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing. Hey, this is my buddy Joe Sheezer, and he's with USA Mortgage. Good morning, Jay. How you doing today? Great, Joe. Thanks Good. so much for the support. Oh, we really enjoy it. Thank you. We look forward to the show every Sunday morning. We love all the information and all the great tips, and we all sit around the uh, radio on in the morning 
I'd love to listen to your show. It's like the good old days, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I get the wife and the kids and the dog, and we wait for Whack and Chase to come on. It's our favorite part of the show. Which one are you? Are you Whack or Chase? Oh, no, I'm Whack because whack? I'll hit it, and then because Pearlie's also a caddy, he's got to go chase it. Which he's, he's the chaser. He's, yeah, he's got the worst end of the stick there. <laughs> well, we really enjoy it, and thank you so much for having us on the show. You're great. Don't miss the hottest rookie class in PGA Tour Champions history. Stars like Phil Mickelson, Ernie Els, Jim Furyk, and more compete at Norwood Hills Country Club September 6th through the 12th. Join legends Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson, and Hale Irwin to celebrate the PGA Tour Champions' newest event. Professional golf returning to St. Louis in 2021. The Ascension Charity Classic presented by Emerson. Tickets, clubhouse passes, hospitality suites, pro-am foursomes on sale now. Visit ascensioncharityclassic.com. Have you met your local farmer's insurance agent, Ed Fogelbach? He proudly serves families and businesses in the St. Louis City, St. Louis County, and the entire metropolitan area, and is ready to review your existing policies to provide a no-obligation quote today. Call Ed Fogelbach at the Fogelbach Agency, 314-398-0101, or stop in today and get smarter about your insurance. Again, that's the Fogelbach Agency at 314 314- Three nine eight zero one zero one. You've seen it and played it in bars over the past 30 years, and now you can bring Golden Tee to your home. Complete your basement or man cave with the popular arcade game, the ultimate virtual golfing experience. Over 80 courses, unique game modes, and you can even challenge a buddy in online tournaments. However you play, you will be the talk of your neighborhood. Visit home.goldentee.com to learn more. I want to tell you about a strength training fitness program that helped me and that can help you. It's called 20 Minutes to Fitness. They have two locations, one in Clayton and one in Chesterfield. Every time you go to the gym with 20 Minutes to Fitness, you work with a professional trainer. They take you through specific machines and with specific exercises that are designed to help your golf game. We're talking about strength, flexibility, and those two components are huge to help you improve your game. Visit 20MinutesToFitness.com. Your first session is absolutely free. Get off the couch and get in shape. Hey, this is Meet, and if you're not aware, the Four Seasons Hotel in downtown St. Louis has two customized Top Golf Swing Suites. That's right, they've got two of them. You can call them right now, book your tee time on the Top Golf Simulator, and play one of the world's top ranked courses. Call them now, 314 881 2023. Call and ask for Laura Castingway. That's 314 881 2023. Wilson Pools Plus has been beautifying homes in the Metro St. Louis area for over 30 years. They're a family owned, full service pool company. Whether you want to add a pool, landscaping, patios, or just have them service your existing pools, Wilson Pools Plus can handle any job. You can reach them at 314-421-1301, or if you're calling from the east side, 618-632-2386. You can also check them out on the web at wilsonpoolsplus.com. We're halfway there. It's time for the Back Nine on Golf with Jay Delsing. The Back Nine is brought to you by Fogelbach Agency with Farmers Insurance. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I got Pearly with me in sunny Arizona. And Brad Barnes Mead has taken great care of us here at the ESPN studios. Uh, the Back Nine is brought to you by the Fogelbach Agency with Farmers. If you need any sort of insurance for your business, for your home, family, anything, 314-398-0101. Uh, Ed will take care of you. We are jumping right into the second half of our interview with Stuart Sink. Yeah, this is from 86 yards. There's room to throw it a little bit behind this whole location. Spin it back. Like this? Something like that. How about that? Stuart Sink is brought to you by Golden Tee. Okay, so buddy, one of the things um, that I found, I always look forward to certain golf courses that I would go to. Uh, I just had... Just they set up better for my game, and I, I just had some positive memories and less scars. For you, talk a little bit about Hartford or um, uh, Harbortown, because I know you've won there twice. And ever, I gotta imagine, every time you fly into that state, every time you head to that golf course, you gotta get a rush of really positivity. Absolutely, and I, I completely agree with you about courses. I've got courses that I swear every time I play that I'm never going back to. And I've got courses that I wish they'd have every tournament, you know, like 
at the, we had a very unusual year, obviously in 2020 with, uh, with COVID and our big break we took. And then there was talk at, um, at the, um, when the season picked back up, there was talk of trying to create, um, like a, a bubble type scenario where we just played several tournaments in a row at the same course. And it kind of happened at Muirfield village, but we, there was talk that maybe Muirfield might be a place where we might play, you know, a lot of tournaments in a row. And there was talk that we might do that at Sawgrass. It never happened, of course, but there was talk and Man, Muirfield Village is one course that I absolutely feel the way that you're talking about, where I just love the tee shot. I love the greens, the way the the breaks. I feel like I read the greens well, and I just feel like that's the kind of place that I can really play well a lot. And when I heard them talking about maybe having a lot of tournaments there, boy, I was excited. Uh, now, I did get my wish that they had more than one tournament. We got to play two back-to-back events um, at one of my favorite courses, which is great. But, yeah, when you go to um, Hartford – uh, for me, or, or Harbor Town, I just have in the very beginning of my career. I I loved playing at Harbor Town. I just had really good feelings off the tee there. I felt like I could judge the wind there really well. The greens, you know, everything just felt really uh, familiar and comfortable to me. Plus the area, the just being there, it just it's such a relaxing environment. And then in Hartford. Um, I, you know, the only thing I can really point to in Hartford was that early on in my career, Hartford was the week after the British Open. And um, Harbortown was the week after the Masters. And if you look back over my wins, a lot of them occurred the week after majors. And that's because I, I believe that's because not only do I have terrible timing, but I think it's just a decompression. <laughs> you know, you get so excited and hyped up and sort of ultra prepped for the major that once it's over, you feel like you can exhale and sort of be yourself again. And suddenly like, well, you're yourself and now you can sort of, you know, the good things start coming out when you're all tense and uptight and, you know, you put so much on the major, you drive down from Augusta to Hilton head and it's like, you're in a different world and you're uh, in a decompression chamber and I relax. And, you know, these are things you wish you could learn a little faster than my, 24 years it's taken me. <laughs> but just to, people don't understand how difficult these majors are. I mean, there, there is so much. Um, we are penalized so heavily for minor mistakes that, you know, doesn't happen in a normal week on tour. Yeah, they just demand a lot more of you. I mean, um, mainly like the U.S. Open, um, it just is really demanding. And it's just not possible really to you know keep the ball in play for that long that many days in a row I mean there's some guys that can probably hit a lot more fairways than I can but in the end you're just going to have to face it you're going to have some shots out of the rough and get some bad breaks and some short putts that bounce off the offline and you know your nerves are going to get to you and, and and everybody it's just whoever deals with that the best and has the most limited impacts is the is the guy that wins and it's, um, it can be like that at the Open Championship, too. It's just very much more weather-related. And, um, you know, leading up to the event, if the course has received a lot of rain, it's going to be just brutally difficult with rough. If not, like at Carnoustie, what was it, 2017, where we had just, like, dusty, brick-hard conditions and no rough, and the ball was going, like, 10,000 miles. Yeah, you couldn't get it to stop. It would roll anywhere. Yeah, it was so fun playing that week at Carnoustie because Carnoustie is usually so like strict and serious and sincere, you know, about like it, you can't hide. But that week it was it was kind of like playing golf in a wide open pasture with bunkers and a few burns here and there. It was really cool. It was different. But uh, the majors just all test. They test you in different ways. There's also a lot more media. There's a lot more. Uh, kind of like everything that falls into the hassle category. Um, there's a lot of just demands on your time, especially for the players who are ranked really high. Um, really a lot goes into their week of planning ahead and setting their schedule up and, and sticking to the schedule. It's, it's a tough, um, it's, it's a definitely a different from a normal week. Oh my gosh. No question. So, so you have two boys, Connor and Reagan. You and your wife Lisa have been married. You guys got married back in college. I forgot all about that. That is just that is just a, 
amazing feature. Oh my! Yeah. Oh my! We, gosh. we got our family started really early. Yeah, that is terrific, and I know that. Um, but talk a little bit about. I got to bring this up. In 2013, you won the PNC uh, Father Son Tournament with Connor. I mean, what what the heck? How, how does it get better than that uh, on the golf course? It it doesn't, and that that was actually quite a surprise because uh, of the two boys. Connor is the older one. He's 27. Reagan's 23. Connor just never really liked golf that much. He played, but he just wasn't really into it and didn't really put much in, put much effort into trying to ever get better. And, 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 you know, he played other sports and that's perfectly fine. But when we paired up in that father son event for the first time, that was in 2013, you know, didn't really have very high expectations. I mean, Davis and Drew Love were there. Drew is a professional golfer, and Davis is Davis Love. <laughs> right. You know, there's people like that were playing, and I just felt like, well, you know, this is going to be a nice, fun time. But um, a two-man scramble for 36 holes, and it turned out that me and Connor match up pretty well because Connor, while he never really loved playing golf, he's always been, like, incredibly gifted uh, with his uh, – like hand-eye coordination. So any sports, and also just a superb athlete, any sports that require a lot of touch and feel and, and athleticism, Connor is just like really, really naturally gifted. In golf, he was always just a really good uh, short game and putter. He just reads greens and he has great speed, even though he hardly ever plays. And so me, you know, being a um, touring po- professional, <laughs> I was able to, keep the um keep the long game part of of our two-man scramble going and drove it well and hit a lot of nice irons and then as soon as we got around the green me and connor both were making putts and chipping close and hitting bunker shots you know and doing the thing that we both do around the green so we turned out to be a pretty formidable team and they uh at the they have a banquet the night before and they ask all the teams to write down their prediction of a winning team and a score and of course we put our own team team sink down and I think I put like 22 under and I had no idea what to guess I didn't know if it was going to be 11 under or 30 and I put team sink 22 under and I'm pretty sure we shot 22 under I think so too that's incredible I think we shot we I we guessed that we were gonna we had no basis of that at all but 22 under par for 36 holes and Connor hardly plays golf and it was just because he's got such great instincts of reading greens and he got on an unbelievable roll. I didn't hardly put the second nine holes of, uh, of the last round. I mean, we made nine consecutive threes. Connor was draining putts from everywhere. I don't remember hardly even speaking to him about the, the breaks. Just like I marked the ball. I would hit the shot into the green, mark the ball. And then he would look at it and replace it and knock it in the hole. And we'd move on. Go pick it, it up, dad. Let's go the next hole. <laughs> yeah. That's just, just, we'll try not to get in the way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just can't imagine the thrill of that. So we got to talk a little bit about Lisa and breast cancer. This was one of the things that I learned with the death of Payne Stewart, that the community of the PGA Tour, Stewie, is just remarkable. And prior to that, we didn't really have anything like that that might have brought us together. So in 2016, Lisa was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I know the tour – I reached out to you. I remember a lot of people just did a lot of different things for you and your family. And the Sunday's round at the Players' Championship, everybody wore a pink ribbon in her honor. I mean, uh, what's that like? Well, that day was touching, to say the least, um, that the PGA Tour and the Players' Championship, you know, chose to honor Lisa on that day. And, um, I mean, it was a big moment for our family, for sure, when we found out that she was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, especially as the diagnosis unfolded and became more and more significant, and it was advanced disease, and um, well, we were just like knocked on our backsides. And, I mean, I, I, heart, I hesitate to put myself in the category of we when I'm talking about this, because even though I'm alongside her and I am, you know, was slash am a caregiver, I still can't comprehend what it felt like and what it feels like to her every day when she wakes up. And the first thing she thinks of is I have breast cancer. I have stage four breast cancer. And um, so I hesitate to say we because of that, but um, it still slips out. And, but we were touched and um, it was just a, 
one small indicator of how the um, the tour and, and individual players and, and families showed their um, you know their love and their kindness to us and in, um, in that time and and still do you know I mean it's just been remarkable the journey that Lisa's been on and and uh, the way that she's been embraced by now she's like the elder stateswoman of the traveling uh, golfer <laughs> significant others because she travels out here almost all the time with me and and uh, you know she's got to meet a lot of the younger gals and there's probably a lot of the young gals who don't even know she's got breast cancer but um, you know that's okay that Lisa doesn't want that to be the identifier for her she just has it it's just part of her life you know I, I just um, I, I just knew what a strong person she was just from the few times that we've been hanging out together and um, uh, I'm so glad that she's doing well one of the things that I look at Stewie um, you're such a community-oriented guy you're just such a fun I, I don't one of the things I remember is you started out on Twitter way before anybody else. And I can remember um, going, I don't even know what Twitter is. And someone told me you had like a million followers or something. So you just have some really creative ways of, of telling stories and, and doing things. And um, of all these awards that I look at that, you you know, you, you were the 96 night uh, Nike tour leading money winner and the player of the year in 96 and the 97 PJ tour rookie of the year, but in night in 2017, but you, you won the Payne Stewart Award. Each year you host a junior event down in Atlanta. You guys live in Atlanta now and each fall. You also host the East, uh, the East Lake Invitational for the East Lake Foundation. All those things are so important, and it really is important for you to give back, isn't it? It is, and I think that's just a natural offshoot of, one, playing a game that just is so rooted in respect and, and character as golf you know we call our own penalties on on ourselves and we don't need we have rules officials but we don't re- need refs to throw flags or blow whistles and you know we play by a set of rules that you know in your heart when you look down at that ball in the rough and no one's around i mean yeah it'd be nice to kick it out and you know get away from that tree or give yourself a nicer lie but we don't do that and um so that's one thing but the other thing is the affiliation we all have with the pga tour you know we're the pga tour if i'm not mistaken is the is the most charitable of all the major sports leagues. And oh, I don't yeah. think it's even close. No, Stu, we give... And so that's something we can really be proud of. We give... Go ahead. You know the numbers? No, I was going to say, uh, in 2019, we hit a record of like $207 million that we donated. And each year, our donations are exceed the NBA, NHL, MLB, and NFL combined. Yeah, I mean, that's something to be proud of. And that is... Uh, I think that's just that golf lends itself to to uh, fundraising and charitable giving and, and good natured uh, selflessness, and that's that's um, that the numbers that you told about are, are about the tour are, are staggering, but they don't even include what Jay Delsing has done over the years on a personal level for like I'm sure you've hosted events and I'm sure you've been part of charity golf outings. I've done that and almost every player has done that kind of thing where they raise money for a local charity or something close to their heart or their life or their family. And that's, you know, that's a whole separate bucket when you talk about giving. So yeah, it's important to me, but I think it's not just because of me, it's because of golf and it's just being part of the PGA tour just makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. If I mirror what they do in my own personal life and, and try to do whatever I can do. But I really so much appreciate your time and uh, your thoughtfulness. I love uh, watching you and uh, root for you all the time. And I appreciate you coming on the show. And, heck, man, go out and win again and uh, get on that Ryder Cup and get up to Wisconsin this uh, this fall would be something, wouldn't it? It would be something. You know, I'm, uh, it's been a while since I've played in one, but um, I know what it feels like. <laughs> it's, it would be great to be able to represent the U.S. again somehow. And, um, you know, just um, – I never thought of myself as a California type of player, you know, growing up on Bermuda or well, really sand and crabgrass for the most part, but um, <laughs> right now out here, you know, my most recent win comes in California on Poana and I'm back here at Pebble beach on Poana again this week. So maybe, um, you know, maybe I can rekindle the, the positivity from uh, just up the road here and, and get another one. Boy, that was one of my, I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did as well. Uh, that's going to wrap up the back nine, but don't go anywhere because John and I will break that interview down on the Michelob Ultra 19th hole.
This is Golf with Jay Delsing. Hey, everybody. It's Vince Gill. You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing. Hey, this is Jay Delsing. If you're in the market for a new vehicle, you've got to call my buddy Colin Burnt over at the Dean Team of Kirkwood. 314-966-0303. I have a 16-year-old daughter. We bought her a car last year, and these guys have taken great care of us. We bought a used Volkswagen. We just added service last week, and things are going great. If you need any kind of vehicle, call Colin at 314-966-0303. And I just got a text from Colin that said, if you mention the Golf with Jay Delsing show, he'll take an additional $500 off of any purchase. Are you looking for a great career? Do you like meeting nice people, working with your hands, and fixing things inside the home? Marcon Appliance Parts Company would like to encourage you to consider a high-paying career in major appliances repair and service. Major appliance service technicians are in very high demand. Major appliance techs work regular hours and make excellent money. They work local, in their own communities, and are home every night. It is an incredibly stable industry and highly rewarding work. Discover more about your new career in major appliance services today by contacting a local appliance service company in your hometown. In Kansas City, contact Nick Turner at Consumer Service Company. The phone number is 913-541-0438. Marcona Appliance Parts Company is based in St. Louis, Missouri, and is the largest distributor of major appliance parts in North America and proud distributor of General Electric Parts. I want to give a huge shout-out and thank you to Whitmore Country Club for sponsoring my show, Golf with Jay Delsing. When you join out at Whitmore... There's 90 holes of golf. Uh, you get access to the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardine, and the Golf Club of Wentzville. And the cart fees are already included in your membership. There's no food and beverage minimums. There's no assessments. They have a 24-hour fitness center, large pool complex, tennis. Man, they've just got great family-oriented stuff. And in, if you get over there, you got to go in the golf shop, and you have to say hello to my friend Bummer. Bummer is just a delightful guy that would love to help you and your family with your golf game. He and his staff out there run golf leagues, skins games, members tournaments, couples events are available all year long. If your family is looking for a place where you can hang out, have fun, enjoy good food, golf, sports, just a family-friendly atmosphere, you got to go to Whitmore Country Club. You can reach them at 636-926-9622. Professional golf returns to St. Louis in 2021. The Ascension Charity Classic, presented by Emerson. Stars like Phil Mickelson, Ernie Els, Jim Furyk, and more compete at Norwood Hills Country Club, September 6th through the 12th. Tickets, clubhouse passes, hospitality suites, and pro-am foursomes are on sale now. All proceeds go to North St. Louis County Charities. Visit ascensioncharityclassic.com or call 314-938-2828. PGA Tour Golf is back in the loo. The Ascension Charity Classic. When things come out of left field, having a game plan makes all the difference. Luckily, Farmers Insurance has been helping people cover their bases for more than 90 years, and they can help you too. Talk to Farmers Agent Ed Fogelbach today to see if you have the coverage you want for whatever curveballs may come your way. Call 314-398-0101. That's Ed Fogelbach at 314-398-0101. Grab your friends, a cold one, and pull up a chair. We're on to the 19th hole on golf with Jay Delsing. The 19th hole is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay, and Pearly is with me, and we are going to the Michelob Ultra 19th hole. Oh, man, that Ultra just tastes so good right now. All right, Pearly, Stuart Sink, buddy. Jump right in. Well, first of all, as I've already told you, one of your best interviews, and uh, I, one of the guys out there I've caddied when you played with him, uh, but I certainly don't know him. But you knew I was going to love him because he's referencing neuroscience with uh, scar tissue, how younger players handle things, pressure older players. Uh, it was just fantastic. And then on top of that, then he throws out uh, proper goal setting and how do you match it with your personality. Uh, I was eating it up big time. That's the stuff that I like what, relative to golf, relative to life, and relative to the business work that I do. So I thought it was just excellent, and it was a, kind of a fresh a fresh uh, perspective uh, from as many great players as you already had on your show 
uh, I, I thought it was unique, and I loved it. Well, what about what he said, John? I just thought it was wonderful because he's like, I'm not really a dreamer. You know, I, I, I said to him, gosh, winning that, that Open championship had to be a dream come true. And he's like, I'm not really a dreamer. I just know that if I stay in my processes and keep this thing really simple and keep my head where I need it to be and this, that, the other thing, you know, things are going to go my way more times than not. And he also said, hey, folks, don't think that I'm sort of um, some sort of a savant or anything like that. He goes, I paid a lot of money to a lot of people to try to get me this help. Yeah, well, just the clarity of it all. And, and you know, how to reference uh, dreams versus goals. Uh, and then he said several times, hey, the reason I've got these short-term small goals is because they're going to lead to something. So you can say that that's not a dream, that that's the re- And I love, love what he referenced. That's the reward. Here's what I'm after, and I'll consider it a, a reward if day in, day out, I do these little things, these, these smaller goals. I, I never heard it like that. And in the work I do, Trust me, I'm stealing that one, and it's going right next to my what matters, mission, vision, values, and he referenced it as his reward. I absolutely love that. He earned that. He had a plan on how to earn it. It To me, it's just semantics. But for him, it fits his personality, and I love how he talks about how his wife gives him a hard time about it. But, you know, Jay, when you're out there playing and you want to get things done, it's nice to have that kind of calm demeanor. There's no doubt, John, and we talked a little bit about, you know, how you do accomplish these seemingly overwhelming and sometimes monumental tasks or these rewards, and it's all through those processes of one step at a time and one, you know, one day at a time and trying to break that stuff down into the smallest increments. Well, it fits so much what you talked about earlier, uh, we talked about earlier in the show, about kind of building momentum, having a, a management on how to manage the game. That's how he manages it. He just breaks it down into little tiny things. And I, one of the pieces that he talked about, that you and I talked about all the time, can you play a round of golf without missing the shot before you swing? Listen, swing is hard but because it, it's dynamic and it's happening and things can happen. But how many times do, do we miss shots before we even make the swing, meaning we're trying to hit a shot we can't hit. We're trying to hit it off of a lie. We're trying to hit a draw when we only really know how to save it. We're trying to hit a 250 when really we can only carry it 220. Those types of things. And he referenced that as well. And we know how huge that is. When, when I could help Caddy through a round and we could get done, and you said, hey, I only missed this shot and that shot before I swung. That was a big day for us normally. Oh, it was, John. And you know what comes to mind uh, right off the top of my head is when we had the great Cardinal Chris Carpenter on the show either last year or the year before, and he talked about cleaning up all the junk. And that's exactly uh, what made me think uh, where I went when Stuart Sink was talking about the processes and and, and that stuff. And Carp was always talking about, you know, cleaning up all the, the stuff in his head so that he didn't miss a pitch before he threw it. Yeah, we've all heard this before a gazillion times, but I think when we hear superstar after superstar reference it, do the little things, and the big things will take care of themselves. Do the little things in alignment with what you need, need what you know needs to be done to attain your goal or your reward. That's how you're going to win this. Yes, when things are tough and it's tedious, and you and you want the bigger win or the bigger giant step forward, but that's not really how it gets done at the end of the day. No, it really doesn't. It's not. Um, this is this is the way. I guarantee you, someone like Tom Brady's got these processes out to the nth degree and follows them, you know, religiously, and um, uh, he's done pretty well. And I and I like too when he referenced some of the uh, the family stuff, uh, because that's part of this whole piece. There's got to be that partner. You know, he even is as humble as he I, he appears to me in a family man. He said, "Hey, my wife was a single parent for a lot of years. I think he said something like twelve years." And you know how it is, Jay, being out there all those years. And it's just it's just so key that he had that partner, that understanding, because that's a piece of it. Can you focus on those little things diligently day in, day out, if the other parts of life aren't together? And I think it's tough, man, really tough. It really is. Well, Pearl, that's going to wrap up another show. But, man, I, I uh, hope the folks love the uh, Stuart Sink interview because not that many people know of him, and uh, he's really a cool, cool dude. 
Absolutely. One of your best. Well, come back next week. We'll have another guest and more banter from John and I at Golf with Jay Delsing. Hit him straight, St. Louis. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.